G'day everyone, welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. I'm your host, David Shi, and as always with me today is John Camino. John, how are you doing, mate? Uh, David, I'm very well. I, I uh, spent the last week getting over the lurgy that everyone's got, and um, but yeah, riders rain now, so yeah, all good. yeah. I've been cold in Sydney. Don't yes, you think? <laughs> that's right. That's right. I don't know how our southern southern friends, you know, down in Melbourne or Tassie, is going to feel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they must be in the icing degrees, but you brutal. know, oh, absolutely brutal. The it's winter came here. early. The winter came early this year, don't you think, <laughs> John? Right. Oh yeah, it was definitely it's definitely cold, definitely cold. So. Um, but yeah, and there's stuff going around, but all, all good now. All good. Good to That's be chatting true. to you. And when I and when I say the winter comes early as well, I think uh, our, um, our our governor Philip Lowe certainly delivered the <laughs> early blow this month as well with another 025 percent rate high on a cash rate, which came pretty much unexpected for everyone. I think from memory, um, mm. there was zero percent of economists uh, or the experts, so-called experts, to say uh, there's going to be a hold in the May uh, decision. And then come 2.30, uh, around that time, uh, bang, 0.25% increase, which yeah. everyone almost fell their chair. They go, what's going on? What do you think about that, John? Like, why, uh, why why, would RBA pull another trigger when they did the pause last month? And look, I think from my understanding, if I'm, if I'm understanding this correctly, the CPI data for Australia actually didn't look that bad. I mean, it's... Mm. It, it certainly has peaked, right? Like we, we've gone past the peak. It's trending down now. Um, but, um, you know, so so it's it's kind of moving in the right direction and unemployment still around the, the 3.5% mark, which is excellent. Mm. But why would RBA want to pull another trigger? Why do you think is that the case? I, I think it was to, in a sense, wrong foot the market. I think it was a very symbolic increase. So the 0.25 of a percent is not a big amount. It's not going to shake the markets or anything like that but it did mm. it did um signal to the market that there's still going to be hawks on inflation and not to get too comfortable i mean they would see what we see which is you know the property markets fairly fairly hot at least in the you know looking at month to month rather yep. than year to year and they'd be seeing that and they, they i think that they wanted the economy i think they wanted people to pull their horns in a little bit uh don't get ahead of yourself we're still we've still got this and um yeah, and also to, we still have negative real interest rates. Um, so if we've got interest rates at five percent and inflation's five or six percent, or at least that's what it's been over uh, on an annualized basis, we still have negative real interest rates. So they haven't really come out as Volcker type uh, inflation hawks as much as we think they have. Um, so maybe, yeah, I think it, it was a symbolic signal, which is probably the right thing to do to say, "Hey, guys." don't get ahead of yourselves what what do you think yeah look i think when i when i read the um uh the 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 minutes uh sorry the statement uh initially after i think that they the key message is yeah they again they want to be cautious they want to make mm. sure the inflation piece is under control um and they want to do it within the timely manner that's the whole reason it is coming down but it's not coming down fast enough um and not quickly enough in order to get to the what the, the two to three percent range that they've been aiming at between 2024, 2024, 2025, I think it was more likely towards the mid 2025 now, um, from mm -hmm. memory. So, um, and again, you know, looking at the, the the statement as well, um, the they're still putting in uh, the comment around some further tightening of monetary policy may be required to ensure that inflation returns to target in a reasonable time frame. So yeah. in a reasonable time frame is the key word here. 
but that will depend upon how the economy and inflation evolve. So again, it's a bit like, yes, you know, we're not, we're never going to say this is going to be the last rate rise, right? Um, because that's going to give markets so much confidence that inflation is going to go on out of control again. So they always want to keep that tone to say, do you know what? We might be putting our finger on another potentially rise again, um, depending on what the data in the next couple of months is going to tell yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting though because uh, one of the things that you and I said um, on the day just via SMS to each other, it's like okay, if the two year yield is what's determining whether where, where they should be, mm. uh, the two year yield in Australia is three point one five percent. And the rate that the RBA has set is, I think, 3.85%. We're currently on 3.85. That's correct. 3.85. That suggests that the uh, if, if if it should be at 3.15, if because that's conventional wisdom for uh, for monetary policy, it should, it should be the two-year. It means that they've kind of over-tightened now. So we're in, in – so suddenly we're looking a bit too tight at the moment. So mm. should the rate be closer to 3.15? The market suggests that. So that's interesting. So n- this is almost a bit of a dangerous period of time now um, if they leave the rates too tight. Uh, yeah, that's when potentially, you, you know, could tip over into recession or something like that. But uh, interesting that they have that they did it even despite the two-year being in the low 3%. That's right. And they've always, they've always insisted that it w- it's a narrow path that they're trading on mm. at the moment to try to, you know, balance out the unemployment, balance out the the CPI, uh, the inflation beast, and at the same time, not causing a recession to the economy, yeah. right? Um, but having said that, I think this this increase still had a lot of economists very concerned at the moment because it just, it's, like you said, you know, uh, they probably look at their data and then they think this is RBA being overly cautious and try to over-tighten a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Um, the impact of that, I guess we will see. Um, but look, in some further positive news, I mean, you know, Fed and the US inflation data is looking to to uh, to be a lot more under control. What was the inflation data last quarter or last? Yeah, month? two two nights ago, it came out at four point nine percent annualized. I can't remember what it was for the month, but four point nine percent. So mm. that that and that was below expectations. I think the market was expecting five point one percent. Okay, so it was a little bit lower. Um, the market liked it. it it's signaling the Fed's doesn't need to do a lot more. Um, but I think while it's still near 5%, that the, there's still probably rate rises uh, out there, but um, inflation's coming down very quickly. Certainly in the US markets, and that would imply that there's more chances that Fed's not going to increase further on the, on their rates at the moment, which would also have an impact on our ones because mm. I think, you know, yeah. ultimately if it continues to increase rates, Australia's RBA will have to follow suit to a level degree as well. So so hopefully, fingers crossed, this will be, or the 3.85 that we're currently sitting on, we'll mm. be looking at more like the terminal rate that we are aiming um, and there won't be any more triggers. But having said that, who knows in the next few months, I think it all comes down to the data, data set. Do you know when's the next uh, key data set piece that's going to come out from for inflation pieces oh, is going to be another because we just had one about yeah. we just had the quarterly one last month didn't we so maybe another quarter three months uh on the spot here i'm not sure i know that every friday the uh employment numbers come out so we'll get those tomorrow morning uh yeah. but i'm yeah i'm not sure anything about it okay. yeah so yeah so look assuming it's quarterly and uh, you know we got our um quarterly data last month then mm. um will be another quarter which would lead us towards probably july ish so you know if um Worst case, 
maybe uh maybe rba potentially will that's that'll be the key useful data for rba to determine mm. whether there's they may have to put another rate to rise again yeah. or if the if the inflation data is looking a lot more positive now and um, they can just put it on hold um yeah but yeah interestingly enough i don't think anyone's been talking about reduction yet um and look you know when i when i when i look at um banks fixed rates which generally speaking uh, fixed rate is what they forecast in terms of what they think the interest rate is going to be, let's say, two to three years period yeah. or even longer, right? They have been reducing a little bit of three-year fixed rates, but we're still seeing things around the 5% to 6%. Mm. So that kind of suggests to me that we're not going to see a significant reduction in terms of the cash rate, at least not in the foreseeable future in the next two to three years um, at, at this point in time, that is. So, yeah. Um, well, the 10-year yield in the US is under 3.4%. The 10-year yields come down a lot. It's mm. the wholesale shift downward. So, <clears throat> I, I mean, 10 years is the never-never, but really, but it's a very important um, a benchmark. So they, 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 they're they saying that yields are going to have to come down again. So we'll have to watch that. But, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, a lot of people who listen to us are property investors. Um, wh- one of the things that you need to understand is that rent the rental yield is going to have to is is going to try to match the uh the lending yield so if if let's say where uh you can borrow at six percent that's essentially you know what the what the borrowing rate is at the moment Mm. the rental yield is going to need to go up to about six percent before the cycle is over so at the moment rental yields are still i mean on what a median house still be under four percent um probably closer to three percent for a house with a with a with a lot of land, uh, rents, I would say, have got a long way to go up. So we, we're talking about the rental crisis now, and again, you know, I hate the word crisis, but um, we've we've got a very tight rental market. That I can't see that. I I, I see that the rents have to go up um, significantly higher from here to get to six percent yield, which is when it terminates in a sense. It has to get to the lending rate. Uh, so. That's one to watch as well. I don't think we're anywhere near the end of the rental uh, cycle. Yeah, certainly with the uh, with the construction pipeline and all the all the construction company going bust, it's not helping in terms yeah. of building more at this yeah. point in time. Um, and we got uh, the migration tap turned on with more more and more people just flowing through. So yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. No, definitely. But it's um. Look, John. I think we also spoke about this. It's just um. I'm I'm been scratching my head because we are seeing what this three point eight five cash rate. I think the last time we were at this level was probably back around twenty eleven or twenty twelve. Okay, so it's been over ten years um before we kind of came back to this level. So you could say to a degree, yes, um, a lot of borrowers haven't seen this uh in the past, but at the same time, the property data suggests that it's also going up. Um, as well so that's what's kind of contradicting for me um the the mortgage rate has gone up which means people's affordability has come down which means they could not borrow as much as they can yet the property prices continues to do their own thing and continue mm-hmm. to drive up i mean we're not talking about a v-shaped recovery but it is certainly uh bouncing back uh, you know, um, looking at May's core logic data, I think Sydney was recording about 1.3% for April. Mm. Um, so, you know, and and so this just doesn't make, I mean, you know, like I guess obviously I'm probably not, uh, <laughs> I haven't seen long enough um, to, to that level, but 
that's one of the questions that I've been wondering. Like, why is that? Why is the mortgage rates going up at the same time when the price is also being shooting up? Do you have an explanation or do you have some sort of opinion yeah, on that? The simplest explanation is that there's a shortage of supply. So we know that the number of listings is down about 20% mm. off this time last year. And we know that the number of listings last year were down about 20% off the year before and, and so on and so on. So the, 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 the answer is that there's a, there's a shortage. But I think more than that, um, uh, I, I think that property has been a poor investment since about 2000 and. 1617. So property market, I, I know that we feel it's sort of uh, unaffordable, but it probably hasn't gone up that much in the last five years. So I, I also think that part of the part of the issue is that um, real estate is relatively, it's going to sound strange, but it's relatively affordable now compared to historical uh, periods of time. So mm -hmm. Uh, if, if we're no more expensive than we were in, say, 2017, which was the top of a cycle back then, uh, and I think our incomes have grown since then, I I, and our rents have, rents have grown, so yields are more, more attractive, uh, I think that real estate is relatively cheap. And if you layer in that the prices in the economy have all gone up, except for real estate since 2017, real, real estate is looking relatively cheap. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? But it real does. estate is looking relatively inexpensive in an in during an everything bubble. I, I'm very critical of the economy. The the economy's not uh, doing the right thing. However, um, compared to what is what we need to ask ourselves compared mm. to Dow Jones, mm. compared to milk prices or bread prices or consumer prices, real estate's not that expensive anymore. I think you touched on that a few episodes before as well. You know, when you look at it from relative terms. It's it's basically uh, the you know the the increase. What well, inflation has been going up too fast, and therefore, in the sense that you know the property prices have literally staggered around the same period mm. and haven't gone up as much in comparison. So now it's looking a lot more affordable from a relative term, as you said. Perhaps when you compare that to gold or something, um, that that's that's when that's when these explanation yeah. would make a lot more sense. Um, but I think at the same time, the other the other uh, piece of puzzle could be because of the fact that most people have and believe that we are pretty much at the top of our current rate cycle as well. Yes. So that's giving people a lot more confidence to be able to go back in. We're potentially not going to see another 1% on top of what we are now. So therefore, you know, when people do their budgeting, they go, okay, well, I can potentially now take out a mortgage and get into my first home. Mm. Um, as a matter of fact, I think in February and March data have have already shown from the mortgage lending perspective, they've been trending up, especially the first home buyers as well in terms of the first home buyer lending. Um, so I think that's uh, that's where it started to come back and also an investor lending as well. So the loans committed is started to creep back. Uh, so that's new commitment. So we're no longer just, you know, the brokers are no longer just playing in the refinance market, mm -hmm. but they are actually new um, new businesses and people are getting, people are buying uh, in that sense. So, yeah. Um, but uh, only, yeah. only recently purchased properties are interest rate sensitive. So long yep. duration held properties are interest rate insensitive. So if you bought a property in, in 2002, uh, I'm just pulling that number out, but it, th then you don't really care what interest rates have done. You probably paid off a chunk of principal and you've, uh, you, you probably live in it now and your circumstances are completely different. Now, if you bought a property in 2021, those couple of buyers, it's more than a couple, but those buyers, that, that that's an interest rate sensitive asset. Mm. So the distress isn't 
the distress for, from higher interest rates doesn't cascade throughout the economy evenly. It, it, it's like a last in, first out sort of thing. But but the majority of buyers are, are fine. If you bought anyone who bought prior to two thousand fifteen is probably completely unaffected by rate rises, I would think. And then how many properties do most people have? So how? So even if you are in distress but you own one property. Uh, you could probably manage. It's it's it'd be those who who got really into into property and and bought and levered right up. They would be in a different position to to other people. But most people have got one house. And so, I think it's also it's also to do with those people who have overcommitted themselves yeah. during the extremely low interest rate periods, yeah. um, where the borrowing capacity is at the absolute minimum uh, maximum. Um, right, and um, those are the people who are unfortunately starting to see a bit of struggle right now, especially when the fixed rates started to roll off. Um, yeah. You know, your your repayment could be thousands of dollars every month higher than during the fixed rates. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, look, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think the the full impact hasn't really been felt yet by the property market because there's still a, a big chunk of people who's still on fixed rate at the moment, which is due to expire this year. So I think the actual consequence of all the rate tightening done by RBA plus the actual economy impact um, we will probably see in the second half of this year. That's when everyone will really see what the impact of that is. Um, so, yeah, mm. I get I get very suspicious when people talk about cliffs. I mean, I remember there was the P&I cliff a couple of years ago. That interest only cliff, happened. yeah. That's right, interest only cliff. Uh, and now we've got the fixed rate cliff. I mean... Like it's anecdotally, it's true that there are a chunk of uh, interest rates coming off, but then circumstances change. You know, rates yes. might go down. There might so, and and cliffs also assume that these big events happen in a cluster. That there's enough people that it happens to them all at one. It happens to a bunch of people at the same time. Whereas most people, circumstances are staggered in a different way, and so you you do, you do get slow moving car crashes rather than these big sort of front-on collisions. There's still car crashes, Yeah, John. that's why. The, so the cliff is more like a, a, a hill that sort of meanders down rather than a, than a, a drop-off. But we'll, we'll see. It, anecdotally, I get the argument about the about the, um, the the cliff there. So Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, but, yeah, look, uh, as we mentioned, you know, the property market is doing very, very well at the moment. Um, and... Um, is there anything in particular that you want to touch on uh, on a core logic perspective that uh, you thought is worth calling out, John, from the um, April data set? Look, look, the only thing is really just to, to the, the, what we've already covered, which is it is quite staggering how robust the market is. I mean, mm. the Sydney market went up by one and a half percent in a month. And if I look at the core logic data in May, which is uh, as yet unpublished, but it comes out on a through a daily index. Uh, May is going to be stronger than April, so so we're now we're we're now sort of in a one and a half percent per month cycle, which is what ten percent a year. I mean that's it's okay if that happens this year because we came off fourteen percent last year, but it's not. This is a fairly rapid tick uh, tick of growth, um, surprising a lot of people. Yeah, the only thing I'd say is it, it's kind of evidence that no one should be spending too much time trying to forecast the future. Uh, the, the the big crash in 2022 was quite surprising. The big recovery in 2023 is quite surprising. So what you do, you just need to acquire good assets. You need to not worry about the timing because you're always going to be wrong. And I can speak from firsthand experience there. Um, but but apart from that, what, what was your takeaway from the data, if, uh, if anything? 
Uh, look, I, I think if we marry that up in terms of our actual on-the-ground experience, that mm. would probably make a lot more sense for our listeners. Um, you know, I've, I've, always, I've obviously been hitting up uh, the pavements and seeing inspections yes. uh, for the last couple of weeks on Saturdays. Um, and I guess the, the, the summary that I'm seeing right now is um, there's literally just no stock. There's nothing to buy, like, as you said, you know, and that backed up with the data that we just spoke about earlier as well. You know, literally one in four houses, that's a lot less in comparison to 12 months ago. Um, no, no, no stock. And on top of that, no quality stock. It's all pretty much B grade or even, even worse at the moment. We're not looking at A grades or anything that's slightly better than B grade. It comes up and it gets snatched up straight away. Like it's not mm. going to last long where you see a whole heap of B grades and C grade that's kind of sitting in the market. The vendor's not in a rush to sell. You know, most of what I find is the vendors already like don't have a mortgage or anything like that. They just want to basically get a good price. So they're not in a desperate position to sell. Um, but yeah, not not a lot of mortgages, not a lot of desperate sales kind of situation. Everyone just kind of comes comes along, and um and and yeah. So I think you know the and and what I deduct from that is, um certainly most people are still able to hold on to these, uh, hold on to the properties. Now some investors might started to sell the B grade properties in order to alleviate. Like that's what I'm hearing. You know, uh, when asking the sales agent why is the owner selling. They're saying, oh, well, either the vendors are starting to upgrade, uh, like they want to upgrade their house and pay off a bit of a debt, or um, they are looking to get rid of one or two investment properties to try to help uh, with a better cash flow. So logically thinking the the um, they want to keep the quality properties and um, they're getting rid of the dud ones or the mm. dudier ones in their, yeah. in, I don't even know whether that was a word, um, <laughs> or the crappier <laughs> ones, uh, the non-performance in, the, yeah. in, their, in their portfolio. To uh to a degree uh and to help maximize cash flow because of the uh because of the rate rises to hedge against that so mm. um but yeah there's just no stock there's nothing uh there's nothing to buy uh, and what about you John what are you seeing at the moment yeah uh, similar I bought a property for a client last week um I knew this property was so it was Seven Hills uh, and the the brief was essentially buy something within a kilometer of the the station I mean I'm I'm a, I'm simplifying but that was the brief mm. and there are no properties within one kilometer property of the ratio of the the station unless you want something that's like r4 land that's going to be developed by a a developer so um so there's this one property that i knew that was coming up um and i knew about it for four weeks before it hit the market they wouldn't sell it to me before because there is no stock so they needed for their own branding it to go to market um goes to market we saw it before it came onto the market and we 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 were able to purchase it within hours of it going onto the market, but it needed to go onto the market for branding mm. and, and all that sort of stuff. So um, so we were waiting around for this property for four weeks, um, essentially knowing that we were going to buy it. And uh, yeah, so very interesting. Um, interesting one. Uh, but yes, the, the the challenge there is it's a challenge for the buyers, it's a challenge for the sellers. There's, there's nothing There's nothing out there. There's nothing to buy. And, and those good properties... Mm things in good locations or things that are well-made, uh, thing like attractive-looking houses in good positions, that they do sell pretty quickly. Um, I do notice, though, John, I don't know whether you're seeing this, uh, there's quite a few off-market opportunities or a lot of sales mm-hmm. agents try to kind of present it that way. Now, I don't know whether that was because the seller is trying to see whether they can cut a deal underneath the table or they could probably easily withdraw if 
you know, if there's no interest, that's up to the expectation or price expectation. So it's kind of like a soft launch, if you know what I mean. They don't want to put it on a market. So, but, you know, yet they kind of want to test the market a little bit to see Mm. what happens if I put this property out on the market, what could I potentially get and what sort of Mm. interest would I be getting? And if that doesn't go against what I want, then I'll I'll take it back. So I keep it as a off-market to a level. Are you seeing some of those in... Uh, so I, I target, I buy a lot of off market just mm. because I'm trying to give my clients an advantage. Uh, I'm finding that recently it's a little bit more challenging to get vendors to agree to like an off market private treaty sale. Mm. And that's because they, they don't have anything that's going to get them in the real estate pages. And if they sell everything off market, they've got nothing to market. So I'm seeing that, but, but I wasn't seeing that say six months ago. So six months ago, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't quite. It's quite so dire. So it, the the stock levels are even tighter than they, they have been for quite a while. So I'm I'm seeing a little bit less off market at the moment. Yeah. I, I mean, like there's they they won't they they want to put the ad up. They want to put the sign out the front, and then they're happy to sell it as soon as that happens. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I think part of that is 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 probably due to the fact that. There's optimism in the market at the moment. Mm. We're seeing clearance rate, what, 77% last weekend in Sydney. Yeah, is that right? Yeah yeah. 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 So that's close edging up to 80%, which is actually now starting to move more into a seller's market, right? Anything over 80%, I think, exactly. is the right. market. So, um, so yeah, the seller, a lot of sellers will be wanting to actually get it fully advertised, get it, go through the campaign of, you know, two to three weeks and then get the auction to try to get the best potential sell price that they can. Mm. Um, which would probably, yeah, I mean, that's 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 what I think. But having said that, I think because I'm monitoring more of the units market, whereas I think you're you're on the house market. So units market is running at a different pace mm. as such. Um, so the units market, you know, I think a lot more people were happier to try to test the soft launch uh, instead mm. of going going down the full blown advertising, marketing, and auction route. Um, yeah, um, I think it's a very interesting times at the moment. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, um, changing gears, John, a little bit. So there's actually a few finance pieces which I just thought I'll touch on as well uh, to keep our listeners up to date. Um, one of them is an interesting um, article that I saw on Switzer Daily this morning um, in regards to uh, talking about the uh, some of the uh, people have started to look at withdrawing super to help them with potential up. Um, mortgage repayments uh, mm. coming up so um that was uh that was a, that was an interesting piece and um, i just thought i want to share that uh because of the fact that um um we are seeing and um and to, for, for some of the people who are concerned um in 2021 and 2022 there were about 56 uh 56 000 applications made to withdraw super wow. 34,000 were approved, okay? So that's totaling about 573 million. However, not all that fund's going into helping with mortgages. Out of that, only about 9 mil, so $8.9 million was for mortgages, okay? Now, this is before the Reserve Bank interest rate rises, okay? 2021, 2022, we have not yet gone through 11 rate cycles, Mm. okay? Now, uh, moving on to today or more closely now modern days, the Australian Retirement Trust, which had about $240 billion's worth of super fund members, okay, has received about 600 withdrawal requests in March alone. 600 withdrawal requests in March, okay? 
And that's because when people can discover that they can use the super to avoid losing their home, the request for super help are bound to surge. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think this is this is actually going to be an interesting one to watch as well. You did a quick Google around the average super that Australians have. What was the actual figure? Oh, look, I got it per age, and so it doesn't have the average super. But let's say the average 40-year-old has $90,000 worth of super. Okay. 40. Yeah. Okay. How much can they take out in that case, right? Well, it's not... that's exactly right. So, yeah, and, and the and you know the age of group that will be making these type of requests, not surprisingly, is between the 30 to 50-year-olds. In other words, the one that's heavily mortgaged um, in that sense, right? Mm. So... Um, so while it can help, but it's not really going to fix the problem fundamentally, um, but just need to be mindful, you know, like when people are in dire straits situations like this to actually take the super out, it's not looking great. Um, and yeah. I can't, I, I mean, I can't help but think of when uh, the governor talks about how much money people have in the offset account to be able to weather the storm. And they were roughly about 24 months ahead on their mortgage repayments previously um but you know i i I actually suspect that the money in that those offset account or regional accounts have gone down a lot quicker than what people have anticipated because Mm. of the fact that people spend it on uh, holidays you know there's a lot of travel etc etc so um watch this space because if more and more people started to creep up and try to apply to get super to help them with mortgage repayments it's probably an early indication in terms of what could be coming for property yeah. market because it's not going to be a long. It's not a. It's not a solution. It's basically also it's a band aid, right? Like oh, you said, 100%. if they take thirty k out, how many months can they cover? They basically yeah. try to just to be able to survive at the moment. Um, now, whether we will see another mortgage holiday like what we're seeing in during COVID period is another story. At this point in time, I don't think so, um, but we'll see. Okay, so. Very, very interesting, and and I, I mean, people say you know my retirement, my retirement is my house, and I'm sympathetic to that view. However, you can't eat your house, and um, oh, I just think it's it's very short term thinking. Mm. But I, I, I'm very sympathetic to the the view of if you're if you don't own a house and you've got a hundred thousand dollars in your in your super, it's like oh gee, what what would you rather do? Well, you'd rather buy the house. Yeah. Um, yeah anyway. Interesting. So, yeah, so I think it's not really a long-term solution at all uh, for those people who is withdrawing super at the moment. Um, and while we're talking about it as well, you know, if you are experiencing financial hardship, um, you should always contact your bank first thing. Uh, let them know. They should. They will be able to discuss and let you know if there's anything that they can do to help. You know, they might be able to pause a few months or look at changing your repayments from PNI to interest only for a few months. A bit of special exceptions, but um, never leave it till last minute and never try to go to the dire straight and tap into your super before running past your potential your lender. See what I can do. Okay. Um, okay, so I've got a couple more points here. Uh, one more is related to the assessment rate change. Okay, so this is interesting for those people who have not have any idea. Right now for loans, if you're looking at refinancing or purchasing, what banks do is they actually assess at 3% on top of the actual interest rate that you're going to be getting. So let's say, for example, John's looking to buy a home. He's, uh, he's he, you know, like he's, uh, or he's upgrading uh, for a home, I should say. He's already got one. So <laughs> John's looking to upgrade <laughs> and um, he's, um, and uh, his bank's offering him 5.5% 
on a, on his own occupy mortgage. Now, when the bank assess that, they're going to assess it at 8.5%. So 3% on top of what he's actually going to get today. Okay. Now, um, a lot of people were not able to refinance because of that 3% buffer that's in place. Mm. You know, a lot of people that's on a higher mortgage, maybe a 6% or 7%, um, you know, they are stuck at the moment. But um, some good news for those people because uh, I believe banks are starting to loosen that assessment rate. So uh, earlier this week, I think we're already seeing Resimac, which is a non-bank lender. They have loosened the 3% buffer to 2%. And um, not officially or unofficially, word on the street is the Westpac group uh, will actually be reducing uh, the assessment rate down to 1% potentially for refinances only, okay? So if you're looking at dollar-to-dollar -dollar refinance, um, they will be able to just assess you on, using John's example, 6.5% instead of 8.5%, mm. okay? So that could help some mortgage prisoners who's currently on a very high mortgage, unable to refinance to reduce their repayment whatsoever. That could actually help them uh, in that instance, okay? So um, yeah, John, what are your thoughts on this? It's very, it's a very practical response to the bank never really wanting to repossess your home. That, that I mean, that that's the banks don't want that. <clears throat> the banks would much rather uh, an environment where property prices are going up and you can service, and that they don't they don't have to take control. Uh, so that 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 um, that makes sense to me. You know, when I hear about those sorts of things, I'm always I always think that. Being on principal and interest solves a lot of problems in the long term. Like if you can chip away at the debt uh, and then you go back to your bank, say, three to five years later, but you've got less debt, you just it's just a different conversation you have with the bank. Mm. So I'd say that even though I recognize that when you're buying investment properties, you, you know, cash flow is the main game in town and, and interest only is, is common, I still think there's a very strong case to, particularly at the early stages of owning a property, to, to, to do principal and interest because it will get, get you out of uh, hairy situations later on, including refinance. That's certainly something to consider. And I guess, you know, that's, uh, yeah, personal. It depends on the yeah. personal circumstances and situations. Um, just imagine if everyone's uh, putting their uh, putting their PNI repayment on the 6% investment mortgage at the moment, it's going to be yeah. pretty negative at the moment. So yeah. anyway, you know, that's just general advice. Uh, and obviously, yeah. you know, from John's experience, let's put it that way, being a property investor yeah. in this game for a long time. So cool. <laughs> that's true. Yes, but look, yeah, it's very, very practical of the banks, and and it's good. It also suggests that they think that we're at the end of the the rate increase cycle. So the one of the reasons why they might consider one or two percent buffer is because they they don't think it's going to get there. So it's probably a signal that their internal modelling is suggesting we're near the terminus rate. The 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 three percent buffer does make sense previously when we yeah. are at two percent, three percent, right? Uh, that kind of actual interest rate. But now we've gone past that. Um, and, you know, we we're chatting about this before we come on air before as well. You know, a lot of people, when they lock in the fixed rate at, say, 2%, they were being assessed at 5% repayment yeah. and they were getting a pass. Now the mortgage rate's at 55 to 6% or even higher. Mm. That's already gone past in terms of the affordability test that we were doing mm. literally 12 to 18 months ago. So just imagine how quickly that things have changed now, you know. Um, so... That's why I think you know it, it has been the 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 industry has been advocating to say this assessment buffer has to change because it's no longer in fit for purpose 
Um, and uh, I'm glad to see yeah. that we have we have got some wins here. Um, hopefully for some borrowers who were stuck previously. Yeah, there's a, there's a great quote from Tom Panos, and I think he stole it from someone else, but I'm going to give it. We'll, we'll attribute it to Tom Panos, and he said. Um, he said, and he was encouraging, I think, someone to buy at an auction. So maybe that's the context. But uh, he said this great line, which is that you, when you buy a property, you, you get married to the property, but you only date the interest rate. So great <laughs> interest rates go up and down, but you're stuck with the property. It's a good way to think about it too. It's, it is. Yeah. It is. That's a great analogy, actually. Yeah. I wonder who Tom stole from. Um, anyway, it could have come from Tom as well. He's a pretty wise man too. Yeah, he's, so, he's a clever uh, guy. Yeah, he's a clever guy. So. All right. Um, so that's the latest. And also, uh, just um, also a quick update on um, on on refinance cashbacks, which I know is being the hottest one of the hottest topics between refinances mm-hmm. um, for the last 12, 24, however long, right? Um, CBA and Bankwest have announced that, that they are stopping their refinance cashback. So they're no longer providing the $2,000 refinance cashback, I think, by the end of this month um, for those people who are refinancing. So this used to be something that the banks was providing to attract new customers. And there has been a fierce refinance war that's going on. So this kind of is the fuel, you know, that's what's fueled all the refiners. And, and that incentivizes a lot of churning um, to a degree. So just imagine, you know, I, I, I know I spoke to a couple of people, um, you know, basically you could jump from lender A to lender B to lender C to lender D, and you could probably probably make a, a $10,000 or, you know, a bit of bonus just by jumping around to different banks. Um, and, um, but uh, first of all, you know, that's not good for your credit. So please don't, don't do that. You know, you'll, you'll be ruining your credit uh, for the future when you need that credit. Um, number two, banks probably start to recognize that um, by by uh, the uh, if if the if the uh, um, if the borrowers keeps on doing this, then they're actually losing money mm-hmm. because they're just basically throwing money away. And as we all know, the cost of funding just keeps on going up at the moment. So I reckon CBA um, being the first one that made this uh, this uh, this change could have recognized that. I mean, they put it out very bluntly to say, look, you know, we're, we're not going to participate in that refinance war anymore. Um, we're going to stop it, and but we're going to provide competitive market rates, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I reckon, you know, at the back end, it might be a cost of funding issue. They're starting to feel the squeeze. It's not It's not worth to try to get as much, uh, try, to, try to give that out. And they want to attract quality customers at the end of the day. Um, so that could be part of it. And also, there's been pressures from uh, the mortgage finance associations um, in to 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 basically terminate this because, like I said, it's a it's incentivizing refinances to churn mm. so often that it's not in the best it's not in their best interest and it's not in anyone's best interest to be honest. So, um, so that's CBA and Bankwest and also I think NAP has just announced that they will be scrapping it as well. So I do expect that there will be more lenders that will be joining it. Um, having said that, I reckon there will always be lenders that will just continue to play around this field. Mm. I mean, you know, you just you can't you can't control what uh, what what how banks will run and how people will do things. So yeah, right. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it'd be. I hope no one was refinancing to get <laughs> to get the bonus, but but stranger things. Trust yeah, me, there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot, John. <laughs> you might be uh, you might be surprised, but um, anyway. Um, that's good. So, uh, look, I think that's pretty much all we want to cover this week. John, have you got anything else you want to chip in? Nothing else. Yeah, Times are good. Great chat as always, John. Thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us as always. 
Uh, we hope you like this podcast. If there's any feedback, anything you'd like to see more, um, just uh, you know, put a comment down below or email us at sparkyourfirepodcast at gmail.com. Um, again, um, none of this is financial advice. Uh, if you if you are um, wanting to take away, please go and see your specific advisors, uh, accountants, brokers, buyers, agents, whoever that's really in your team. But until next time, uh, we will see you again in that episode of Spark Your Fire. John and David, bye.